Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash picture lock. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. This week on the show, I've got Lisa Giles, the producer of the 48-hour film Horror Project in Richmond, Virginia. You can find out how you can get involved with the Halloween-themed project known around the globe, but taking place in your backyard, DMV folks. Okay, so maybe, you know, your neighbor's neighbor's backyard because of the distance, but it's close if you live in... Uh, D.C., Maryland, definitely Virginia area. I'm also talking with writer, producer, director of In Transit, Julia Camera. We talk about her experimental film in which the dialogue was entirely improv, plus your picture lot question of the week from last week is read and heard on the show. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, this is Tim Gordon, founder and director of the Lakefront Film Festival. And you listening to my man Sam, Kevin Sampson, on Picture Lock Radio. I'm Kevin Sampson. You're listening to Picture Lock. And if you're a filmmaker or a film lover looking for a spooky challenge, the 48-hour film Horror Project is taking place October 19th through 21st in Richmond, Virginia. I've got producer Lisa Giles on the line to talk about the project a bit. Lisa, welcome to Picture Lock. Thanks so much, Kevin. Glad to be here. I'm happy to have you. Lisa, the first question I always start with is, when did you first fall in love with film? I I have always been in love with film. I can't think of a time that I have not been in love with film. I think my earliest memories, um, you know, with family are, are sitting down with family, watching television, watching movies. Uh, my father was a huge uh classic movie fan and I think that's probably where I started is, is, is loving the classic pictures the Fred Astaire movies and all that and as I grew up um, I kind of transitioned into um, dramas I'm a big drama fan right now and um, that kind of just evolved and and I've always known that I wanted to be involved with film somehow um, I think as, as a teenager, I think most teenagers like to play with the idea of being an actor and, you know, maybe try out for the school play. I certainly did that. And, <laughs> and you know, I, it didn't take me a, a lot of time to figure out that I was most comfortable behind the scenes instead of <laughs> out front. So, so yeah, that's, that's my place behind the scenes, running things and, and making things happen and, and shining a light on better talent. <laughs> I love it. You know, uh, in high school, I, too, was definitely in theater. I was heavy into theater. I thought I was going to be an actor. Um, but then when I went into undergrad college, I realized that you really get to control more of the story when you step behind the camera. And that kind of, like, put me on that path in terms of filmmaking. So I hear totally. you. 
Totally. <laughs> All right. So if you could, let's get a little history lesson. Um, you know, how did you go from the girl watching Fred Astaire films with her father to now the woman that's producing uh, the 48-hour film horror project? And if you could also kind of tie in how you got involved with the project. This, you know, it's been a slow evolution. I was one of those people that um, I was brought up to be very practical and the arts are not necessarily very practical. You know? <laughs> I've heard that one. Yep. You know, that's the term starving artist. You know, there's a reason that term exists. <laughs> but, um, so I was kind of encouraged to do more, uh, you know, pursue things that would have guaranteed money at the end of the day. Yeah, right. So, so in my spare time, I, you know, I, I was always drawn back to the arts always, you know, I could never let it go. So, so I would as much as possible be involved, you know, it could, it could have been volunteering for, uh, for projects. Like my, my brother was, um, uh, a camera operator and I would always go to his projects and watch him and PA for his projects. Um, I would volunteer to uh, to, do, to do whatever I could do to be around film or stage, um, you know, as a young person in my spare time. So I've always done things just to be around the industry. I think probably the first big thing that I did was I was at the time working for a law firm and the, the firm was uh, looking to get commercials produced and somehow I managed to get to get to be the person to be the producer for the commercials for the law firm um so I produced three uh commercials for the law firm and then and that was it you know I, I had to keep doing it um you know whether it was locations or auditioning talent or whatever it was you know I always had my hands in it somehow I was a teacher for a time and I was in charge of the theater productions at the school. And so, you know, I was producing the theatrical productions and had uh, access to talent and, you know, certain students wanted to go beyond what was available at, at school. So I helped them uh, kind of became their manager and, and kind of uh, helped them find their way into films and things that were being produced locally and sometimes not locally. I mean, I've had, had, uh, actors that I managed that were that did projects in New York and Atlanta and so forth so um so yeah so I've been a big dabbler and then um, yeah and, and, go ahead yeah and, no, I was gonna say it, it sounds like it I love it yes and and then um then there was uh I had a, had a job with um producing high school state championships and we were in a position to bring something new to students that didn't exist, and that was film. And so I ended up being the founder of the state championship in film for the state of Virginia and um, produced the film festival for its first three years. And um, and then from there, started producing the 48-hour film project and and being a juror for numerous film festivals. So, like I said, it's it's been an evolution. It's been dabbling basically all my life in every aspect, whether whether it's, um, you know, managing talent or producing commercials or producing festivals or 
um, what have you. I've, I've, I've done a little bit of everything. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the dabbler, a.k.a. producer of the 48-hour film horror project, Lisa Giles. The project is taking place October 19th through 21st in Richmond, Virginia. Um, Lisa, right before, just before we get into uh, the project, I got to say, yeah, you definitely have dabbled. And it's really interesting to me. Um, many times when I'm interviewing different filmmakers and they started off in the law world and then they transferred over to like creating documentaries and things like that. So I do find it, I find that so fascinating. Like what is that? There's some kind of thread that we don't have enough time to like get into, but, uh, but yes, you have dabbled and that's pretty awesome. So that leads us to uh, the 48 hour project. So I wanted to say more so, if you could break down to the audience that may not know like what a 48 hour project is and then if you could more specifically go into the 48 hour film horror project for you guys specifically. Absolutely. Um, the 48 hour film project um, is a filmmaking competition first and foremost. It is a global filmmaking competition. So uh, 130 odd cities around the world do this. And, and I produce the Richmond, Virginia project. So whether you're in Korea or Vietnam or uh, South America or wherever, this, this is happening. And, and it's an opportunity for people to tell their stories and to make art and to learn and to have fun. And um, so what it is, is filmmakers have an opportunity to make a movie that is seven minutes or less in length um, over the course of 48 hours. And it, there's a kickoff on a Friday evening at seven o'clock and all of the filmmakers that are registered to take part they gather to receive a mandatory character prop line of dialogue and genre that must be in their film um so they don't receive that until friday at seven o'clock and then those elements that character prop line of dialogue and genre must be in their film and they turn it in on sunday at seven o'clock um and then the the films that get completed they are screened there are awards given and it's it's a great big party and it's really uh you know what makes it really fun is that you know these are people who all love film and and it and it encompasses every single part of filmmaking so it's not just directing but it's writing it's editing it's locations it's costuming it's makeup it's it's all of those things so all of those people come together for this love of this of this uh, art form and they produce amazing films and like i said this is happening happening globally uh the richmond project usually takes place in the summer we finished ours in july and it was so successful this year that uh, filmmakers, they just couldn't get enough. So for the first time, we are launching the Horror Project, which is taking place um, over the ho uh, Halloween season in October. Uh, our kickoff is October 19th, and that, that's when they'll get there. Now, it's funny because I mentioned that, they'll, that the previous project, they, they, have to, they have to draw a genre. For the Horror Project, obviously, they're all going to be horror films, but they're subgenres. So there might be you know, mass murderer type of horror or zombie horror or um, uh, ghosts and goblins or Frankensteins or haunted 
objects, you know, so it could be any type, you know, they, they'll, they'll draw their specific genre uh, within the horror um, genre. And that's, um, those are their marching orders. So again, in Richmond, that takes place October 19th through 21st. And our screenings, uh, the premiere screenings are October 28th at the Gray Street Theater. And then from there, the best of the of the total number of films that are done, we have another a second screening um, and award ceremony on November fourth, also at the Gray Street Theater. Oh, nice! That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of interested, like about how many uh, films were turned in for the the normal Richmond 48 hour film project. I want to say it was we started off with. 54 registrations that for whatever reasons dwindled to 48 funny number right 48 (laughs) it dwindled to 48 and we had one of the film teams that had an emerge a medical emergency so they actually didn't get to participate so then it took that to get down to 47 and of those 47 44 turned in their their films on sunday uh the next well, yeah, the, the international average is 20% that do not finish, and Richmond landed somewhere at 14%. So we were better than the international average. Um, so, yeah. But still, I mean, that's just amazing because, you know, with these projects, while it might be, you know, 40, I think you said 44 films that got turned in, that 44 is times whatever, like the directors, the actors, like all those different people that for the weekend are rallied around to create a film. Like that's that's incredible, actually. That seems like all of, like Richmond is just busy on that weekend. It, you know, it's, it's like filmmaking is the only thing happening in Richmond that weekend. <laughs> right. And, and what's even more amazing is that not only, you know, Richmond is the capital city of Virginia, and it's, you know, pretty centrally located, but Richmond draws, uh, for this event, Richmond draws from Lynchburg, from the Hampton Roads Beach area, all the way southwest to, we had teams from Roanoke, which is like three and a half hours away. Wow. That are- in this so so and we also actually we had uh, two teams from Maryland we had two teams from Washington DC so it's a pretty big deal and so so I don't know how they're uh, I, I do know that some of the, the the Lynchburg teams they actually filmed in Lynchburg so they came to Richmond got their um, their required elements and then went back to Lynchburg which is like an hour and a half away um, and did the project and still made it on time. So it's really amazing what what can be done and what can be accomplished in 48 hours. And I have to say, you know, what gets turned in is is really good stuff. And we have, you know, the people that participate there, they range from students, uh, people who've never made a film in their life to professionals. So So everybody competes with everybody. Yeah, and, you know, that's what I kind of wanted to go into because, uh, you know, for me, running two film festivals, Rosebud Film Festival, D.C. Black Film Festival, um, we typically do get each year um, a 48-hour, or excuse me, a 48-hour film project that comes through. Um, and like you said, they're top-notch. They're, qual- they're really great quality. 
Um, but that's the great thing, what you just said and mentioned for the audience that's listening. You don't have to be a professional filmmaker. You could be just a film lover that wants to help out on and see what it looks like on a set. Um, it's fast and furious for, you know, 48 hours to turn in a complete project. But it's a it's a good time. Right, Lisa? It is. It's an amazing time. And, and you know, people ask me, uh, for, for example, I, I mentioned my brother earlier in this interview who's who does camera DP work and everything. And and I've been trying for years to get him to do one of these and he will not do it. He just <laughs> refuses to do one. And it's 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 so crazy to me. And he's like, why would I want to do that? You know, and my first answer is because it's fun. It's, right. it's an amazing time. You're like I said, you're you're making Friends, you know, when you go through something that's so intense and fun, you know, those are the people that you work with. Those are friends for life. Um, but it also for people who are stuck and I and, and, you know, from an artist's point of view, I'm sure many listeners can relate to having writer's block or, you know, writing a script and, and not getting it finished or, you know, starting a project, a, a film, and it just getting stalled somewhere. There's so many people that I know personally that never get their film made, you know, and, mm, it, mm-hmm. you know, because they're doing it, you know, most people can't afford to just be a filmmaker. You know, most people have real jobs and then they do their filmmaking on the side. You know, some people are lucky enough to, to do that for, for, for work, but most people are not. And these are passion side projects. And, and that's what's really great about the 48 is that because it's a competition, it, you have to do it. And, and people are competitive. And that <laughs> is, that is motivation in itself. And, you know, when that clock is ticking and you've got to write and you've got to cast and you've got to direct and you've got to edit and you have to do your sound and you got to do your color or whatever you're doing, you know, you know that you, it's got to be done. And amazingly, it gets done. So all these people who are putting their, their projects off and they're not getting their their films made, I really highly recommend participating in one of these. And, you know, the first time it's going to, it will probably be rocky, you know, <laughs> but, but you learn, you learn the tricks of the trade and you, you, you know, kind of you, the more you do them, you kind of get into a formula and then the better filmmaker you become. I've known people that have done, you know, six, seven, eight of these things and, and they say they will always do them. You know, right. even though they're experienced filmmakers, they say, I will always come back and do a 48 because it challenges me. It makes me better. And I always learn something new. That's what they tell me. And I think that's well said. I mean, as we always like to say, 90 percent of filmmaking is solving problems on set. So uh, what better way to do that than to have a ticking clock within when you have to make this film? It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the producer of the 48-hour film project, Lisa Giles. The project is taking place October 19th through 21st in Richmond, Virginia. So, Lisa, as we wrap out this interview, um, one of the most important questions is how do people actually sign up and get involved? You can go to 48hourfilm.com slash Richmond. That'll take you to our website, and you can just follow the prompts from there. Uh, registration, I, if you're going to register, I highly encourage you to do so no later than Monday because that's going to get you the best rate. 
Um, and if you register after Monday, you're just going to have to pay $25 more. Um, so again, it's 48hourfilm.com slash Richmond. Awesome. And then do you guys have social media by way means that, you know, folks can follow you guys? Of course. <laughs> our, <laughs> Facebook, our Facebook page is Richmond 48 Hour Film Project and uh, our Twitter and our Instagram is the same. Awesome. It's Lisa Giles, the producer of the 48-Hour Film Project. It's happening October 19th through 21st in Richmond, Virginia. Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. Kevin, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Let's take a quick break to hear from the folks that keep the lights on. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody, I appreciate everyone that listens to the Picture Lock podcast. And for you, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you're like me, then it's been a while since you've sat down and read a book, but it hasn't been long since you listened to a podcast. In fact, you're listening to one right now. Why? Because you're able to be entertained, informed, or educated on the go. That's kind of how I like my books as well. With Audible.com, I can listen to Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces or Robert McKee's story when I'm in the mood for learning about the craft or Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point when I'm trying to learn how to be a better influencer. The point is, a wealth of knowledge is at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash picture lock for a free 30-day trial. It's that easy. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash picture lock for a free 30-day trial to Audible. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realize that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know and a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Picture Lock's question of the week last week was, what's your most anticipated film of the fall? On Instagram, at Henry Leaker said, Widows, love Steve McQueen. At the real underscore Breel said, 
Creed for sure, but the new At Mahershala Ali movie is looking great. Retweets and likes on Twitter, but no feedback. On Facebook, Lavelle Jackson said Halloween and Creed 2. Christopher St. Arnold II said Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Mary Poppins Returns. That reminds me that I need to actually see Fantastic Beasts and Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> but uh, those definitely look like good choices. We've got a couple call-ins this week. Let's listen. This is Justin checking in from the Epic Film Guys podcast, and I gotta say, the film I'm most excited for this fall season has to be David Gordon Green's Halloween. It's been 40 years in the making, and though we've gotten remakes and plenty of sequels, we've all been clamoring to see the shape up against Jamie Lee Curtis in pure Halloween form. The word on the street is it's great, and I can't wait to sit down in my theater seat with popcorn in hand and see Michael Myers take on the big screen once again. Yes, uh, my most anticipated movie coming this fall is Widows. The critics seem to love it, and I love all things Viola Davis. Thank you very much. This is Robert Stanley. And thank you, Picture Lock. All right, so that was last week's call-in. A great hearing from friend of the show, uh, Epic Film Guy, Justin. I can't wait to hear, uh, you know, what Justin thinks once he sees the movie. Like, you know, there's certain people that you wish you could see certain films with. And if I can see uh, this next Halloween film with Justin Esquivel of the Epic Film Guys, I know I'd be in for a good time. I, knowing him and knowing me, like how, how things are, like we probably would not talk to each other the whole time because you're just trying to soak it in. Uh, but, you know, Justin is definitely a huge horror film guy. And I, I know I knew good and well, like Halloween would be his most anticipated film. So, Justin, appreciate you calling in. Uh, Robert, thank you for calling in. And for those of you listening, you can call in as well. This week's question of the week, man, listen, I am so hyped with Creed 2 right now. The movie poster, first off, you can't tell if he is yelling in excitement or pain. Uh, it's, man, that, that poster is everything. I, I guess I should go back a little bit more. So uh, shout out to my brother, Michael. Um, Rocky Four is definitely... I think it's one one of I, I'll go ahead and say it is my favorite of the entire series. Now, obviously, you add on Creed, and it's kind of like a, a different part of the franchise, but you know, uh, it, it, it's a part of it. And so, Rocky Four was, and I've said this before on the show, it was just my film back in the day. Like I would work out to it on VHS, rewind. I loved uh, so much of the film, you know, the underdog as usual, you know, fighting uh, the big wig. I, I love living in America, the whole thing with James Brown. There's so many different things, quotables. My brother and I, we used to watch this together all the time. Um, and so, so when Creed came through, I was like, man, this is so cool to be able to um, see, you know, Apollo Creed's son on the big screen and continuing that story. And this is kind of how they'll continue the franchise. But when I saw Creed, I mean, I was just 
over the moon. I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, Ryan Coogler, amazing director. The combination of him and Michael B. Jordan, like any film that they do together, uh, take my money right now. Um, and so you knew that the likelihood of a match like this, where Apollo Creed, his son, would go up against Ivan Drago's son, it just had to happen. And so now it's here. So, I mean, I'm, I am super hyped, as you can hear. And the trailer, um, it definitely looks amazing. Um, man, you hear uh, Rocky say, you know, he broke things in me that, you know, still haven't been right ever since or something like that. Um, and then not only that, like once you get to the end of the film, so like, you know, or the trailer, you know, Rocky had said uh, a line about how, you know, this is exactly, you sound just like your father. And then you kind of have that same um thing that you had from creed one where you know uh apollo's wife felicia rashad um i forget the character's name where she's saying you know don't say this is about you you know or your father this is all about you but you can tell by the end especially when they say show michael b jordan and he has tears in his eyes you can tell that he learns something in this film. And I think ultimately the thing about like boxing films and in and, and general, um, you're looking at, you know, us as human beings and kind of the man versus man uh, in terms of, you know, the different forms of, of conflict and, and, you know, fighting against yourself and, you know, the inner you and learning more about yourself and so i feel like there's going to be this growth uh within um creed 2 that uh you know it's just going to be it's going to be phenomenal I, I i don't know maybe i'll be let down but i know i am i am extremely excited just looking at the poster um thinking about how great creed 1 was now um you know i've talked about this uh before in terms of the trailer it's definitely a different uh, director, excuse me, um, Stephen Cable Jr. is going to be uh, directing the film. But, you know, I think that uh, it was more than likely is in good hands. And I, so I can't wait to see it. So I'll say all that to say <laughs> uh, the question of the week this week is, you know, for this film, 33 years in the making, 85 is when uh, Rocky IV came out. Who do you think will win the match of Adonis Creed versus Victor Drago? You know, uh, a bonus for your thoughts on the story arc. So I kind of gave what I kind of think in some ways, but like, you know, do you think Victor is going to kill Adonis? And then like, there's no more <laughs> Creeds. Like they just kill the franchise off. Now that would be a huge twist. That would be a huge twist. Uh, but you know, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, I, but I want to know your thoughts. Leave me a message, 60 seconds or less on who you think will win in Creed 2 and why. And I'm going to do my best to play it on the show next week. 202-350-1351. That's 202-350-1351. Uh, you can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com and I'll read your answer or play it next episode. You're listening to Picture Lock with the executive producer, Warren Corber of How to Buy a Baby. And creator and consulting and fertile, Wendy Littner. And we're here with Kevin Sampson. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And in the film In Transit, 
Olga is on her way home to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Daniel is on his way to Mexico. They end up in the same airport, 24-hour restaurant, killing time before their flights. They never expected that the casual conversation with a stranger would change their lives forever. I have the writer, director, producer of the film, Julia Camera, on the line. Julia, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Julia, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? So as a kid, um, I had always had a love of writing. Uh, and then I started doing a little bit of acting and taking acting classes. And one of the things we had to do was, you know, bring scenes to work on. Uh, so I started bringing, with a friend of mine, bringing scenes from a movie, from like movies that we loved. And in sitting down and like really breaking down the scene and the movement and all, all the things that happened within the scene of a movie that I loved, I discovered that like, hey, this, I think this is what I really love and not necessarily the acting portion, but how they told the story visually, you know, what, what close-ups they used where and what camera moves they're using where to tell this particular story. So I think it was from trying to break down what makes a scene work between two actors that that's really what made me like want to love film and want to get into film. But at that point, I, I had no idea how movies were even made or, <laughs> or, or that the process of editing existed or any of that stuff. I really only knew from a, a performer's point of view, from theater and from working on plays. So uh, that's when I decided to go to film school. Um, and that's when I made the big move from living in Brazil my entire life um, until I was 18 and then moving to the U.S. to go to film school. Wow. I definitely want to get into that portion of it. But I, I think that's really cool and interesting. I don't think I've heard um, that answer just in terms of basically what you did was study, you know, how the composition of a scene, like everything that goes into it, the blocking, like you said, the acting, lighting, things like that. Because I do think there's a part of uh, problem solving uh, and storytelling that goes into filmmaking that people don't, like, you know, the average viewer doesn't really realize like all these things are happening, but definitely as filmmakers and people that are on a set, you do realize. But I love the fact that you kind of fell in love with that process of filmmaking. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it is one of those things that, you know, it's, it's beyond just the acting and beyond just the writing. It's like when you start to realize that all of those things go into account, you know, it's not just what the performers are doing, but what they're saying and where, where they are in the, you know, in that location and what the location looks like and all those things. Yeah, I, re I remember the days when I'm like, oh, okay, all these things are choices that someone made. Uh, and they all contribute to the totality of what you're watching. So, yeah, yeah. most definitely. Okay, so if you could, um, you know, give us a little history lesson. How did you go from uh, the girl that was, you know, in Brazil breaking down a, a scene to a woman that is now directing, writing uh, in transit? How did you get into the industry? So I moved here uh, very young. I'm still very young. So that was last week. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I moved to the United States very young to go to film school. Uh, I went to Columbia College Hollywood. 
uh, here in Los Angeles. And then I, um, I didn't know exactly. That's when I really discovered what filmmaking was really all about. Uh, and I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do. I just, I PA'd a lot. I was on a lot of sets. Uh, when I went to our film school, uh, it was encouraged for us to like work on as many projects as we could. So I did a, a little bit of everything. Like I did sound, I did camera, like a lot of editing, like anything that any project that would have me, I basically worked on just to see what everything was all about. And then PA'd a lot on uh, professional sets. And that's like the best education anyone can have is to be a PA. Mm. Um, and then after film school, I'm like, all right, I think, I think I want to get into writing because, you know, at that point, um, I went to film school like before the digital revolution. So really for you to make a film, it still took, uh, you know, a lot of money to buy film stock and processing and developing and then finishing on film. Like that was a ton of money. Right. I really envy the kids now that can grab an iPhone and make a film. Like, <laughs> right, you have it right. made. You do not know how hard it was to do this, like in the early 2000s when the technology wasn't readily available for everyone. You know, real uh, quick, so Julia, to, to, just to jump in there, because you're absolutely correct. Um, when I went to even undergrad, like it was right on the cusp of kind of the digital revolution. And so, like, you know, I did. I was able to actually glue film together and, like, you know, actually work with film. However, um, you're right. It's like totally different now, where like you can just shoot a film on your can on what's in your pocket versus like I know like back in the you know the '80s, even '90s, where folks would actually have to shell out a lot of cash just to make their thesis film. I know, yeah. When uh, when I was finishing school, like we were all talking about, you know, Robert Rodriguez and what he did, and mm -hmm. you know, we're all joking about like how do we even come up with this kind of money as film students? Like, what organs, what vital organs can I sell on the black market to even raise the little bit of money he used to make a film? Because it just <laughs> costs. The film stock was so expensive, right? And you know, so. I, I do envy the kids nowadays and I'm pretty sure a kid out of film school today can like, you know, run circles around me because they have, they have had a lot more to experiment with than, than I think we did when we were young. But, mm. um, so that's how I got into writing because it occurred to me that I'm like, okay, writing is free. It's 100% free. It's just my time. And when you're young, your time, you know, it's not as valuable as when you get a little bit older. Right. <laughs> so I experimented a lot on the page. I wrote a lot of different things. I submitted a lot of my scripts all over town. Uh, I got a lot of rejections. Um, and it was one of those like, okay, write, submit, re get rejected, repeat. Um, and then that's kind of when I started to go the other direction and go, you know what, if everyone's going to say no to me, I'm going to say yes to me. And at that point we're, we're talking of like the late two thousands when there was um, digital technology available. Mm -hmm. And that's when I went, okay, so I think there's no longer a reason not to make a film, even though I'm not a millionaire, like I can still go out and make a film with a smaller budget uh, because the technology is more affordable now. Um, and that's when I really became a filmmaker, but it was that buffer between like the early 2000s and the late 2000s that took me to, 
okay, I'm going to start making my own films now. Uh, so I made a couple of shorts and then, um, and then I got, uh, very lucky to meet a Brazilian producer who was looking for a writer, uh, for a project that he was doing in Brazil that was going to be, you know, shot in Brazil, but with a lot of American talent and, uh, with a lot of Brazilian talent and a little bit in Portuguese, a little bit in English. So he needed someone who was bilingual, who was a writer who would work for cheap and I fit all the categories. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I was starving and I'm like, yes, when do you need me? Where I will do anything. I will pay you to do this job. Uh, <laughs> if you hire me uh, and that, and that movie is called area Q uh, stars, Isaiah Washington. You can watch that on Amazon prime. And it was my first um, paid gig in the industry. And I'm very thankful to have gotten that job. It was an amazing experience. Um, and then, uh, but that's also what I quickly learned is that, you know, just because you have one credit doesn't mean you're going to get hired again. So the the hustle continued and I continued to like write and make my own projects and, and knock on everyone's doors. And that's when um, my second film, Open Road, that's, again, I met, I feel like this, my entire story in this industry is like, I meet people when I least expect. And that turns into like, and that became my next uh, project. Right. Because I met uh, the producer of my second film, Open Road. I also met him because he needed someone to translate a script from uh, English to Portuguese. And then I mentioned that I also had a script, that I was a filmmaker and that I was doing all these things. And he asked to, to read my script and, and that movie became Open Road, which um, I'm not sure where is streaming right now, but you can find it on a lot of different uh, platforms. Uh, stars Camilla Bell, Juliette Lewis, uh, Andy Garcia. But that, again, it was another random thing where I'm like, I was just out hustling and a friend of mine knew among other things that I was a translator and recommended me to this producer and I was ballsy enough to say oh I also have a project that I'm trying <laughs> to make would you like to read that and then my third film and these were all as as a writer like I've directed a, a ton of shorts in between um I've, I've I've consistently have made short films that I like wrote directed produced you know did the festival circuit and all that stuff with the feature films, it was more of this, like, unexpected things have happened that have led me to uh, be able to make the feature films. And then my third film, um, Occupants, I actually, that producer found my script on a service called Inktip. And that film you can see on, I think it's streaming on Amazon Prime now. And we've played a lot of festivals. We've won a ton of awards and uh, sci-fi, it's by far one of my favorite films that I've done um and it's low budget so it's really cool stars uh Robert Picardo from Star Trek we were in the process of promoting occupants is when in transit started to take shape and that's when um I knew I wanted to make a film and I wanted to make something completely different like occupants was already me experimenting that's why it's like it's found footage and it's just two people inside a house and it's a scary film so it's like a sci-fi horror film um but it was already me like really wanting to experiment and do something different and see like can i make a film 
that's found footage and sci-fi at the same time and kind of scary and only takes place in one location. Um, wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop. Okay, okay. So, like, you know, as as I'm letting you talk, I'm also doing the math on this. And I did, I just realized that I watched Occupants um, when it came through DC WebFest. I don't remember if that was this year or last year. Um, but yes, Occupants is really, really dope. Um, because basically within it, the, t- the couple kind of, this camera um, allows them to see this alternate universe of themselves, um, which is, you know, the film that's told, you know, from found footage and kind of like within this, you know, it's almost like a laptop setting has been done, but it was really kind of interesting how you put the sci-fi twist on it. Okay, cool. This is awesome. Oh, there you go. So we go full circle. I'm so excited that you saw Occupants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my director, Russ Emanuel, he's done a phenomenal job in promoting this film and really pushing it and submitting it. And yeah, I I have run into random people that have like, oh, you wrote that? Oh, I saw that. That was really good. So that's always exciting when that happens. So I'm glad it's happening now. <laughs> yeah, what better <laughs> way? You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking to the writer of Occupants, <laughs> as well as <laughs> the writer, director, producer of In Transit, Julia Camera. Uh, Julia, yeah, that that is really that's really kind of random and cool. But like, as you you kept saying Occupants, and I was like. Ah, that feels really familiar. It's and it is. So uh, okay, all right, cool. So um, now that I know that uh, I'm dealing with an experienced professional here, folks, uh, <laughs> who has <laughs> film streaming in different area codes, uh, <laughs> Julia, if you could in transit, let's get to that uh, for the okay. audience in your own wor- words. What's the film all about? So the film is. Uh, so it's about two people stranded uh, at the airport, which I feel like we can all relate, you know, who among us, amongst us has not spent, you know, more hours than they wished at the airport, just kind of waiting to fly out or delayed or whatever. Um, and they meet each other by chance and they start talking and they get because they have a lot of time to kill they get very intimate about a a, a lot of different things in their lives um and they both come to different epiphanies about uh where they need to take their lives and it's an experimental film uh which we did i like i had an outline of what where i wanted this to go but i really wanted the actors to be present in the moment So they improvised all their dialogue and they only met that day on set. They never met before. And uh, they had no idea what was happening. Like I only told them the basic. I'm like, this is your character. You're going to get there and you're going to meet a person. And that's about it. And then you take it from there. So as we shot, uh, we shot this in like little chunks. Mm -hmm. And each time when I felt like, okay, this isn't, quite going the way I hoped like I would cut and redirect them and then we shoot a little bit more of the chunks uh, but we shot most of, like the meat of this film we shot in one day uh, with uh, a Branca and Oliver my my main actors Oliver Rayon and uh, Branca Fajazo and they're like amazing actors um, they never met before that day um, 
and then we still I there there are some flashbacks and other things that we cut to in the film and those of course were not shot in the same day uh but 90% of the film was shot in like a 12 hour period so with people that had never met didn't know what was about to happen um so in a lot of ways it was a little crazy and I'm very thankful that the actor said okay to this but sort of coming back to occupants you know occupants was me like wanting to experiment of how far I could take something relatively simple and I feel like in transit was still taking that concept of how far can we experiment with just two actors in one location but really putting that twist of like they're not going to meet beforehand they don't know what's happening if it looks awkward when they first meet it's because it is awkward because it's human nature and they don't quite know what to expect from each other but yeah so i took the, they, we all took this huge gamble and the film is now ready and we're going to have a premiere october 10th at the glendale international film festival and the actors haven't even seen the finished product yet so they don't really fully even know what the film looks like so i'm very excited yeah, I, I mean, as you should be. You know, I think it's really interesting because, you know, films like th this kind of reminds me of Before Sunrise, you know, Richard Linklater. Um, and it's, hey, two people that meet, you know, uh, in transit um, and the randomness of that meeting. But then you take it a step further and you say, um, you know, it's going to be totally improvised. And the fact that the actors um, have not met each other uh, I, I think there's got to be a certain amount of naturalism and uh, realism um, to this all kind of taking place uh, as, as it kind of unfolds on camera. And so I, I want to ask kind of like, what were the challenges with that? I mean, as a director, you know, I guess, did you have auditions for this? Like, because in some ways it almost feels like... Um, <laughs> I could almost imagine like somebody just like doing some kind of uh, a calling for you know need two actors to meet at an airport will be rolling film <laughs> like <laughs> like how does that, that how be, does that work <laughs> that would be a great casting call <laughs> right right <laughs> I'm gonna do that next project that I cast I'm gonna call you first okay? there you go you there tell you go. me what does the casting notice need to read right uh, so I actually knew both of, even though they only met that day, I knew both of the actors beforehand. Uh, we, as one of those things that like everything in my life feels like comes full circle. So I met both those actors when they auditioned for me for uh, Open Road before I met that producer that then took on Open Road and, and made it a way bigger film. Uh, but they both came in and, and read for me for Open Road when I was casting Open Road to make it on a much lower budget. Um, and then once uh, the producer, Yuri Singer, came in, made it a much bigger film and cast Camilla Bell and uh, other uh, bigger actors, uh, I still wanted my actors to, to, to be in Open Road. So I gave them a chance to go in and read uh, for the casting director. And it ended up that like it didn't work out for them um, as it goes in this industry. Uh, but I kept them in mind and I kept in touch with them throughout the years. And I knew I wanted to work with them at some point. So when Andres, it really started to take shape. I'm like, all right, who can I bring in that I already know and trust? Uh, who will be willing to do this? Because it does take like such an intense level of trust. Mm -hmm. Um 
and then because I knew them and I knew uh, a lot about their backgrounds, I could kind of develop the characters a little bit around like who they are as people. So it was like a little bit of a seamless transition between like them becoming the characters uh, because it's close to who they are as people. Like I used a lot of, um, I talked to both of them separately a lot beforehand and we brought in a lot of their personal experiences to the characters. Mm -hmm. And I think even originally Branca's character um, had a slightly different background and storyline and she brought in something very personal from her life. And I'm like, yes, let's use that. We should totally use that. And I think it really, it really helped um, shape the performances. And even with Oliver, I think I, one of our preliminary meetings, we were talking about the character. And he's like, you know, I have a similar life story that we could use. So a lot of what we ended up creating um, had a lot to do with who they are as people. Um, but yeah, I think next time maybe I'll cast like actors I've never met before. <laughs> to, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> that would be like absolutely fascinating, and we'll you know we'll see how uh, you know things go with in transit, and uh, you know I I think that that is a really interesting function of like hey I know that I know I'm coming here to do this job as an actor, um, but there's so much like. Uh, of the unknown that it has to make it fun and exciting. Um, folks, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer, director, producer of In Transit, Julia Camera. Uh, Julia, you know, unfortunately, we're going to kind of have to wrap things out here. Um, however, if you could let the audience know how they can find out more about the film, follow it. And I know you say you have uh, a screening that's coming up. Yes, so October 10th, 10.30 p.m. Uh, in Glendale, California, uh, at the Glendale International Film Festival. And if you follow, uh, our website is uh, intransitthemovie.com. Um, find us there. Uh, intransitthemovie.com, you can, you can uh, stay up to date on all the things that we are doing. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, although I haven't really kept up with um, those platforms uh, because there's so much happening and I'm only one person. But go to our website. All, all of our updates are going to be there. Uh, we're going to have our premiere soon in October. And then there will be, uh, for those of you that are not in Los Angeles and can't come to that screening, there will be an update very soon about where else you can see the film. I just can't quite announce it yet. But there are other uh, other things coming up. But October 10th, 10.30 p.m., Glendale International Film Festival. Uh, Limley Glendale, that's the theater. So come check us out if you're in the L.A. area. If you're not, stay tuned. Intransitthemovie.com. Uh, there will be more updates coming soon. Awesome. Writer, director, producer of In Transit, Julia Camera. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Lisa Giles and Julia Camera, for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on back episodes of the podcast and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast so you can catch those unlocked versions of the show. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast.
You have best picture Oscars the last 30 years enabled. Do you want to open it? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good blooper. Uh, no. You have best picture Oscars no. the last 30 years enabled. Do you want to open it? No. Alexa, play Picture Lock podcast. Getting the latest episode of Picture Lock. Here it is from TuneIn. It's Picture Lock on W-E-R-A-L-P-R. Alexa, stop. All right, folks, so, you know, you see, I did it just then. It's that simple. <laughs> you can do it, too. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. I really appreciate you guys leaving reviews of the show. One, it helps me to know, like, you're out there and that... Uh, you know, the show is helping and entertaining you, but two, it just helps the show to reach a broader audience. So I can't thank you enough for leaving a great review on whichever podcast catcher you use. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Be sure to follow me on the Stardust app for my quick movie TV and trailer reviews. Just look up at Picture Lock Show and I'm there. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe so that you can check out my YouTube movie reviews. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. This week's question of the week is, who do you think will win in Creed 2 and why? Bonus for your thoughts on the storyline. Drop me a voicemail at 202-350-1351 or send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can use any of PictureLock's social media pages, and I'll talk about it on the air next week or play your voicemail. All music is done by Mike S., the producer, 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S., the producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.